Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. Curtis with Finish Well Podcast, and this is episode 166. We are on our final ultimate extravagant USA road trip, and this is not going to be a road trip, actually. We are going to take a cruise. We're going to start in Alaska and make our way down the West Coast and out to Hawaii. And from our island state, we're going to make our way to all five of our inhabited territories. So you are going to get to see some breathtaking views, enjoy delicious seafood, venture into the ring of fire. We're going to have a great time. So grab your navigation chart, pack your suitcase, and don't forget your swimsuit and your life jacket because there are miles and miles of water that we are going to travel over. On our whirlwind tour of the Pacific states and our five territories, we'll see mountains, waterfalls, geysers, coves, bays, rugged coastlines, and volcanoes. The Pacific states which are Alaska, Washington, Oregon, California, and Hawaii, have only one thing in common, and that's the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) We go from tundra in Alaska to a tropical island in Hawaii, so it's really so much extreme. But one thing they do have in common is seafood. Their seafood is very popular in all five of our Pacific states, And they're known for good seafood. So it's really, really um, a fun place to eat. And another thing that they all seem to have in common is coffee, although coffee is not as popular in California. Um, Seattle is famous for coffee. Kona coffee is world famous from Hawaii. And the Alaskas, of course, have to drink lots of coffee because it's so cold up there. Anyway, by the time we've sailed from place to place with our five Pacific states and our five inhabited territories, we will have almost taken a trip around the world. (laughs) So here we go. We're going to start with Alaska. Now, Alaska isn't just the largest state. Alaska is larger than the next three biggest states combined. That's right. If you took Texas, California, Montana, and put them together, Alaska would still be bigger. It's separated from the continental U.S. It is on the continent of North America, but it's separated from the other 48 states um, by Canada, and it's very close to Russia. The capital city, Juneau, is larger than our two smallest states combined. Right. Our smallest states are Rhode Island and Delaware, and if we combine them, the city, not the state, the city of Juneau would be bigger than those two states combined. We talked about Montana last week as being big sky country because it's so big. It's the third largest state. But now we are going to meet the two largest states in land area, and that's going to be Alaska and California um, a little bit later. But just while we're talking about Alaska, there are millions of acres in some of these national parks and preserves there. It's just an amazing, amazing state. Now, keep in mind, Alaska is... A peninsula, it's surrounded by water on three sides. So you have the Arctic Ocean in the north, the Bering Strait in the west, and the Pacific Ocean in the south. 
they have the highest percentage in their population of Native Americans. No, they don't have a huge population, but of the population, of the people that you see, you will meet a lot of Native Americans. Alaska is breathtakingly beautiful. There's huge mountains, there's glaciers, and when you talk about animals, there's moose, caribou, bears, bison, and reindeer. And one of the best ways to visit Alaska is to visit one of its many national parks and preserves. So we are going to go to Denali National Park, and there are millions of acres to explore. It's also home to Denali, the highest mountain in North America, which used to be known as Mount McKinley. Now, Denali Park is filled with glaciers, and it's also home to moose, wolves, caribou, dolly sheep, and grizzlies. There are no reptiles in Alaska because, of course, you know, reptiles are dependent on the temperature outside for their body temperature, and it is just way too cold. But all the animals are huge. Moose are huge. The bears are huge. And, of course, there's polar bears in the ocean. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a helicopter ride. We're going to fly out over the park. We're going to land on a glacier, and we'll walk across it. We can hunt, we can ski, we can dog sled, we can hike after our ride. But to be honest, I'm freezing. So let's keep this short and then head back to the ship. We'll board our ship at the Port of Alaska in Anchorage. Now, once we get moving, our next stop is Washington. We'll dock at Port of Olympia and take a bus to Mount St. Helens. Mount St. Helens is such an interesting thing to me. Because on May 18th, which is my birthday, 1980, when I was 18 years old, the volcano, Mount St. Helens is a mountain, but it's also a volcano, it erupted. And for nine hours, magma flowed, wreaking havoc. 57 people died and billions of dollars of damage was caused. In three hours, though, this is what's so interesting. So listen to this. In three hours, 200 200 geological layers formed. Now, obviously, they're not really geological layers. Well, okay, let me say this in a respectful way. So most um, evolutionists think that geological layers represent age of the earth and or at least age of the of the layer and that these layers are very old. But what happened at Mount St. Helens is these layers just went down. Boom, 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 boom. And they're exactly like layers that are said to be millions or billions years old. So it's very, very interesting. In a few months, canyon systems were carved. Trees that are collecting at the bottom of Spirit Lake mimic ancient petrified forests and a layer of peat quickly formed. It didn't take millions of years. In fact, that eruption was a testimony to the word of God that declares God made the heavens and the earth in six days. And all these things line up with creation scientists belief that the earth is young. So for me, myself personally, I believe the earth is about 6,000 years old. I believe the Bible account of creation is true. And what's so interesting to me is I almost feel like God allowed Mount St. Helens to erupt and all these things to happen so we could see, hey, these processes don't take a million years. 
and we can trust the word of God. So I love Mount St. Helens, and we have to go see it. When we're done, though, we're going to stop at Olympic National Park. Now, of course, that's right near our port. Remember, we, we landed at the Port of Olympia. Now, what I love about this park is it has everything from the Ho Rainforest to the beach. It, it um, includes land on the beach. And then there's beautiful waterfalls and Mount Olympus. So it's got the mountains, it's got the beach, it's got a rainforest. It's really super cool. So we can hike up the mountain and see a glacier. And we can also explore a rainforest. Super cool. But before we leave Washington, we need to grab a cup of very famous Seattle coffee. (laughs) Our next stop is Oregon. We're going to dock at Port Orford and rent a car to drive east several hours to Crater Lake. Now, Crater Lake is so interesting because it's right inside a volcano. Yes, it is supposedly an extinct volcano, but I don't know. Should we take the risk? It's too cold to swim in, but you are allowed to boat in it. And um, the water is amazingly beautiful. It's so clear and so blue. It's actually one of the cleanest and clearest lakes in the whole world. It's just absolutely spectacular. It's also one of the deepest lakes. Now, in the warm months, we can hike, fish, hunt. Um, We can, you know, take pictures of animals in the forest. We can go cycling. We can drive around the lake. But in the winter, this is what's really cool. It's actually one of the snowiest places on Earth in the USA, not on Earth, in the USA. So we can snowshoe, sled, ski, or snowmobile. And if we camp overnight, it's a perfect place to stargaze, and we can enjoy the constellations. So we're going to head back to Port Orford, and our next stop is California. Now, California, wow. California is the second largest state, and it is more than beautiful beaches, Hollywood movie stars, Disneyland, and hazardous freeways. California has tall trees, active volcanoes, islands, mountain ranges, the Sierra Nevada and the Cascades, deserts, it has Death Valley, coastal mountains, valleys, and fertile farmland, all of those things you'll find in California. And there's so many interesting regions, like there's the Sierra Nevada Mountains that border with Nevada, and you've got Lake Tahoe there. And then there's the Cascade Mountains that are closer to the the ocean, and but also the Pacific borderlands that are right on the ocean. And then you've got the Mojave Desert, and that's just a very, very interesting place. Now, um California has a very, a lot of California is, is warmer than other places because, you know, when places are near the ocean, the ocean kind of keeps the temperature more stable. It gets less cold, less hot, but also it's got a dry temperature, a drier temperature than say Florida where I live, where it's very, very humid. So it's just a very interesting kind of place. It's great, great, great for growing plants. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But also California is part of the Ring of Fire. 
They have droughts, floods, wildfires, landslides, and earthquakes. In fact, they have over 37,000 earthquakes a year, but most of them are too small to be felt. There's also the possibility of a volcano, though an eruption in California has not happened in a long time. One thing that fascinates me about California is all these different things that I just told you. But in addition, California is the leading powerhouse in agriculture. And, you know, it's the second largest state, so that makes sense. Uh, Alaska's the largest state, but where it is with the tundra, it, it doesn't, you can't grow a lot in Alaska. I mean, let's face it, you can raise reindeer, you can grow some hardy cattle, and, you know, maybe grow potatoes or a few vegetables, but it's just not the best place for crops. But California is amazing. They have a very long growing season and they grow over 200 different crops. California produces almost all of America's almonds, apricots, dates, figs, kiwi, nectarines, olives, pistachios, prunes, and walnuts. It grows almost as many oranges as Florida. Florida is still number one in the oranges, but it also is number one in the USA in avocados, grapes, lemons, mellows, peaches, plums, and strawberries. California is a powerhouse when it comes to growing crops. And speaking, you know, of growing, not just crops grow really well in California, but I want to introduce you. And while we're here in California, there's so many things to see. I was thinking, what should we do? What should we do? And there's just so many different things. But I'm going to take you to see some special trees, okay? So if we travel along the California coast on Highway 1, we will get some beautiful, stunning views. And right along the Big Sur, there's these giant redwoods that we can see from the Coast Highway. So the Redwood National Forest is home to the tallest redwood trees in the entire world. And some of these trees, I mean, these trees, just imagine your ceiling and then a Barbie. And think of a tree that grows to your ceiling and then put a Barbie next to it and pretend the Barbie doll is you. That gives you an idea of how huge these trees are. Now, these trees are the tallest redwood trees in the world. I already told you they're the tallest redwood trees in the world. And some of them you can drive right through the trees. They've carved out like tunnels that you can drive through. Sequoia National Park is home to the largest trees. It's the largest. So the redwoods are the tallest and the sequoias are the largest. And um, in Sequoia National Park, there's also Mount Whitney. That's the tallest mountain in the continental U.S. So that doesn't include Alaska because they're separated by Canada. And then I want to show you one more plant. And that grows only in the Mojave, De Mojave Desert. And it is such a cool plant. It's called the Joshua tree. And the way it's shaped, it almost reminds you of Joshua when he was holding up his hands in prayer. So that's what it reminded the people who named it the Joshua tree. And also in the Mojave Desert, besides a lot of Joshua trees, is a place called Death Valley. Now, Death Valley is below sea level. So we've got the highest mountain 
in the continental United States and California. And then we have Death Valley, which is the lowest point in the continental United States. And I'm sure lower in Alaska and Hawaii, too. And it's the hottest and driest place in the U.S. So you would think the hottest and driest place in the U.S. would be Arizona. It would be New Mexico. It might be Texas. But no, it is in California. Isn't that funny? So California is just such a big place, so much variety, just a really beautiful state. Well, let's go on to Hawaii. Now, we're going to be on the cruise ship for a while, getting to Hawaii, crossing over the Pacific Ocean. Hawaii is an archipelago, and it's a chain of islands. So an archipelago is a chain of islands. It's located in the Pacific Ocean, and there's eight main islands. So there's the eight islands are Oahu, Maui, Kaui, Lanai, Niha, Malaki, Kaulawi, and Hawaii. But there's hundreds of smaller islands. So Hawaii is in the tropics. The tropics are um, the area of the world located between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, and the equator runs through it. So as you can guess, the tropics are very warm, very balmy, um, a lot of islands in the tropic, and we think of tropical islands. Well, anyway, there in Hawaii, there's few miles of beautiful beaches, active volcanoes. There's one volcano that just spits out lava every day. And Hawaii is a super popular destination for tourists. The island has such a multicultural mix. All these different people came from Korea, China, Japan, the Philippines, Portugal, Samoa, Africa, America, other parts of Europe, and they joined the native Hawaiians. And it's all just mixed together to give them this very unique culture. Like when we think of Hawaii, we think of a ukulele, and that's from Portugal. So it's all just very interesting. Um, Hawaii is so beautiful. And one thing that um, happened in Hawaii is there were these, um, there were these, a lot of, it was a great place to stop off in shipping. And so big ships would be sailing around the world and they would stop off, stop off in Hawaii and, um, you know, they would refuel. Well, there was not fuel then, but, you know, they would get food and things to eat and stuff. And, and one of the sea captains was a Christian man, and this little boy swam out to his ship to get away from his uncle. He had been adopted by his uncle, and his uncle was ready to start him in the rites and rituals to become a witch doctor. And he just, he was too scared. He didn't want to do that. So the captain ended up leading him to Christ and made a deal with his uncle to take him back with him to New England. He took him back with him to New England. And this little boy um, grew up. He went to school. He was educated. He went to Bible school. And his passion was to take the gospel back to the Hawaiian people. But what happened is that he died very young. And other people heard of his death. They knew of his passion. And so missionaries came to Hawaii as a result of that. And they led many of the Hawaiians to the Lord, including the queen who turned away from worshiping the goddess Pele. So it's very, very exciting story. But anyway, what I want to tell you about is the place we're going to visit. 
It's called the Coral Church, and it's in Oahu. And I told you that many Christians came to Hawaii to share the gospel, and they put the Hawaiian language, which is beautiful, into writing. They translated the Bible into Hawaiian, and they, the Hawaiians decided they wanted to build a beautiful church. They had the beautiful gospel. Their lives were changed. And so they, the missionaries and the Hawaiians together grabbed slabs of beautiful coral from the ocean and carried it to the building site by hand. And they built the church together and it's called the, the Coral Church. It was built and dedicated in 1812. So it's over 200 years old. It's absolutely beautiful. We're going to do that. Now, as we get back on our cruise ship and we keep going, we are actually now heading west. And like I said, we're almost halfway around the world. And we're going to go to American Samoa. Now, American Samoa has rainforests, volcanoes, mountains, coral reefs, white sand beaches, and shimmery turquoise waters. It's located in Oceania, close to Samoa, the Cook Islands, Tonga, and Fiji. It's in the Southern Hemisphere, and the capital is Pago Pago. Now, what's very interesting, um, Pago Pago is located on Tutilia Island. It has one of the finest natural harbors in the whole world. We build harbors. We create harbors. But certain places just have these natural harbors. And this is one of them. It's huge and it's deep. Um, so it, it's just a neat thing to see that God created that for the Samoan people. Um, most of the population, actually 98% of the people in American Samoa are Christians. And you can feel that atmosphere in the island on a Sunday morning. Everyone's in church. While we're here, we're going to go to a Fia Fia. That's um, American Samoa, well, Samoan for celebration or get together. And we're going to eat roasted pig, chicken, fish, breadfruit, coconuts, mangoes, and taro. They're going to entertain us with knife fire dances where the men will twirl burning knives around their necks, under their arms, and over their bodies, all to a beat of the music. Um, Polynesian dances like Hawaiian dances reveal the history of, of American Samoa and her culture. And in American Samoa, these stances include Christianity's arrival in the island and how their lives were changed. It's very, very beautiful the way the gospel came to that nation and it stayed there. Now, keep in mind the territory. These five inhabited territories, that there's American Samoa, Northern Mariana Islands, Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. They're all independent countries but they're also territories of the U.S. So that's, you know, that's kind of interesting. So if you live on one of these islands and you work in a business there, you don't have to pay federal income tax. Um, so there's, you know, there's benefits to being attached to the U.S. because of the military and things like that. But there's also benefits to being an independent country that's a territory. So we don't have time to explore all that. That's like a whole podcast but I just want you to remember that. So American Samoa is a country, but it's also a territory. And now we're going to go to the Northern Mariana Islands. We're going to keep heading west. 
And this is what's so cool about this group of islands. The deepest spot in the ocean is the Mariana Trench. And I'm sure you've heard of that in science. It's the deepest place in the whole ocean. And right next to the Mariana Trench, along the trench, is this group of islands, and they're the Mariana Islands. Now, Guam is the largest of the Mariana Islands, but Guam is separate than the rest of the Mariana Islands are called the Northern Mariana Islands. So the whole group together is the Mariana Islands. Guam is the largest. Guam is called Guam. And then the the Northern Mariana Islands are the rest of the islands. And Guam, and it's very interesting why Guam and Northern Mariana Islands are separate. It has to do with World War II and the Japanese occupation and some things like that. So you can research that if you want to. Anyway, we're going to visit the island of Tinanin, and on the island of Tinanin, a ferocious battle raged between the Allies and Japan. And so what happened is there was so much fighting. It was in in the sea, on the land, and it left numerous shipwrecks off the coast of this sunny island. So what we're going to do is we're going to scuba dive among the shipwrecks, And maybe we can find a World War II weapon or maybe an artifact or something like that. Next, we're right here. We'll go to Guam. Guam, like Guam, Northern Mariana Islands, American Samoa, all of these islands are gorgeous. They have beautiful beaches. They have beautiful sand, palm trees, tropical flowers, tropical animals, these brightly colored birds. It's just like stepping into a whole new world. They're all really beautiful. And Guam is no different. And Guam is a great place to enjoy the sunshine, go snorkeling, lay out on the beach, but even more, it's a great place to learn about World War II. So much happened on Guam. Guam is almost like a floating island battleship during the war. There was just so much that happened there and so much that they were a part of, and the Americans um, did a lot of taking off and landing from Guam. It was their home base in a lot of ways. Like American Samoa and the Northern Mariana Islands, they still hold traditional feasts and tell their island story through hand motions and dance. But while we're here, we're going to visit the Pacific War Museum in the capital city of Hagnata. And this museum focuses mostly on the U.S. Marines, who took the island back from the Japanese in World War II. It was super hard because the Japanese would dig these underground tunnels so the Americans would think they had them, but then the Japanese would come up on the other side of the island. It was very scary, very hard, but they finally took the island. And um, But there's also other exhibits, and you can see weapons from World War II, when we go to this museum, we're going to learn a lot about the Pacific theater of the war, but and, and we'll know everything we need to know about how the Americans took Guam back from the Japanese. So that will be a really fun thing. Now we are going to really travel far. We're going to travel into the Indian Ocean. We're going to cut through the Suez Canal, and then we're going to travel across the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Caribbean Sea. We are going to stop first at the U.S. Virgin Islands, and then we're going to go to Puerto Rico. Named by Christopher Columbus on his second voyage for St. Ursula and her virgin followers, 
the U.S. Virgin Islands are located in the Caribbean Sea between the British Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. An archipelago, these three islands, St. Croix, St. John, and St. Thomas, make up the U.S. Virgin Islands. But there's also many small islands and even tiny islets. These islands changed hands many times during the colonial period. Um, and so they have been Danish. They've been British. Um, I think at one point they might have been German or French. I can't remember. But mostly the Danish ruled the islands. And the Danish colonists grew sugarcane and manufactured molasses and rum. So I don't know if you know that you get rum from sugarcane. You also get molasses from sugarcane and, of course, sugar. So in 1917, the USA purchased the islands from the Danes, and they granted U.S. citizenship to all the people. But you can still see the influence of the British when the British were running the island because they love cricket and they drive on the wrong or left side of the road. I'm kidding. They drive on the British side of the road. So now while we're here, we're going to go to the island of St. Croix and we're going to visit a place called Sandy Point National Wildlife Refuge. Now we're going to be able to see leatherback and sea turtles. They have their nesting ground here. This is a very remote beach and it's very back to nature. Now, when I say back to nature, I always mean no bathrooms, which I really don't like. But nearby is a place called Estate Wind Plantation. It has a sugar mill, slave quarters, a cookhouse, a big plantation house, and a windmill. They've restored it to show what it was like when it was a sugarcane plantation. And the slaves actually worked on these plantations. That is so horrible, but that's where it is. And until the Danish governor freed the slaves in 1848. So the slaves on the island of the Virgin Islands were freed about 17 years before slaves in, a, in the USA were free. On the other end of the island is, it's a little offshore, is a small island called Buck Island. And it's surrounded by a coral reef. And we're going to be able to take a boat to the island and snorkel in the crystal clear waters. You will see blue tangs, trumpet fish, butterfly fish, parrotfish, barracuda, and reef sharks. Our final stop is Puerto Rico. Gorgeous beaches, crystal clear waters, seaside forts, lush gardens. You'll find it all in Puerto Rico. You can enjoy Caribbean culture as well as Spanish culture in Puerto Rico with tropical fruits and delicious food. Puerto Rico is located between the U.S. Virgin Islands and the Dominican Republic. Again, it's an archipelago with, um, a, it's a group of islands. So Puerto Rico is the largest island, but there are several small islands. Puerto Rico has mountains and coastal plains, but no active volcanoes. It's warm and humid all year long. Um, and as you know, probably from the news, that Puerto Rico is frequently hit with hurricanes. The last one was just a few years ago. You'll notice several forts on Puerto Rico. And why are there so many forts? Because you're going to say, wow, there are a ton of forts here. Well, it was because Puerto Rico was often attacked by the Carib Indians 
as well as French, Dutch, and British pirates. So we're going to visit some of those ports. We'll start with Castillo San Felipe de Moro. That's a huge fort built in the 1500s. That's an old fort to protect the island against pirates. And we can see cannons, turrets, bunkers, sentry towers, and lighthouses all built in the 1500s. Inside Fort Fortaleza, that's another fort, is Palacio de Santa Catalina. And that is the official residence of the Puerto Rican governors. It was originally built to defend the harbors of San Juan, but now the whole complex is the seat of government. It's it's baby blue. It's painted baby blue. It is so cute. I just love it. It's like a dollhouse, but I mean, it's still the seat of government. So that's pretty powerful place. Um, 170 governors have made their home there. So that's pretty cool. Well, it's time now to head home. And I hope you took a lot of pictures. Thank you for joining me on our final and whirlwind tour of the Pacific States and our five inhabited territories. And if you've enjoyed these tours, I really encourage you to check out God Bless the USA. It is our U.S. geography series. The core book is a textbook, and it is called God Bless the USA, Exploring States and Territories. It takes you as if you're traveling to each state. You do some roadmap work, and then you do a little bit of research, like what's state flower, what's the capital, which, of course, is given to you in the other pages, not the flower and bird. And then right along with it is our fabulous cookbook. Laura and I worked so long on researching and putting together these recipes and kitchen testing them, and her dad helped out. And we love this cookbook, and it's the perfect accompaniment to the text. Then there's also tons of printables about capitals, abbreviations, seals and flags, and national parks, stamps and coins, anything you can think of to do with states. We've put something together. So we hope you'll check out our series and we hope it will be a blessing to your family. You can learn more about it and purchase the God Bless the USA series. You can purchase it, just whatever you need to make your geography series perfect for you. You can purchase it at powerlineprod.com. Again, thank you so much for joining me and I can't wait to see you next time. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.